Hi everyone, it is April 1st, it is a new month, same pajamas. <laughs> uh, this is Emily Schramm, your meathead hippie, and I am just so honored to be able to have this podcast, um, to be able to launch another Empress edition. My monthly publication just went live today, and I've been wanting to access conversations like the one you're about to listen to for a long time. And it's kind of this, uh, when the student is ready, the teacher will come moment that I had and just really understanding what is my role? What is my purpose? What is my next 10 years going to look like? And I feel like this is just a big piece, maybe even just in a small way, um, of what I think is important to get more education around for people who, despite all of the stress and anxiety and fears and what the fuck is happening around us, right? It's, you know, all the things that I've talked about in my Facebook lives and my Instagrams, <laughs> the ups and the downs, my last podcast, uh, we still have to recognize that we are in a situation that we can truly take care of our body. And we do that not just from a systemic standpoint, right? Like our systems are taken care of because we are taking care of ourselves. And at a cellular level, I'm getting the nutrients I need to have a strong immune system. Uh, I know my gut is tied into that immune system. I, I know that I have the ability to create space for more parasympathetic or de-stressed uh, areas in my life when I am able to, and therefore I have a stronger immune system because of it. Uh, it is all about education for most of us, if you're listening to this. It's education on what supplements we need, you know, the zinc, the glutathione, the, um, the B vitamins, <laughs> etc. And it's education on the food that our cells need, food and water. And that is something we take completely for granted. It's something I've taken completely for granted and feel somewhat ignorant when it comes to the word food accessibility and knowing that it's something that makes me really sad. It's, it's something that makes me feel like I need to do something about it. Um, I think all of us can relate to that, knowing, okay, we're in a good position. What about people who aren't? And what does that look like? And uh, I feel so grateful that Grow House is in Denver. Um, but this conversation, even if you aren't in Denver, finding organizations and supporting organizations like Grow House, this nonprofit, and Kayla, who I'm going to, going to speak to, who are doing the work to make food accessibility, which we will define, um, doing it in a way that is so holistic and full picture. <laughs> and I just am very honored to have this be what my podcast is about, especially today, because I, I want to do more and sometimes it just never feels like it's enough. And I wanted to share the story behind what could that look like and where could that maybe inspire you to, to support $5 to or help your own community in the way that uh, Grow House is doing, even if it's at a micro level, right? There's just got to be the conversation first. And that's what I aim to do with this podcast. 
Uh, for Empress, $5 of every Empress for April goes directly to Grow House, and I will match that. Um, so technically $10 because I'm in love with this organization, and I want so badly for people to understand that $5 is significant. We, we forget. <laughs> and there's just so much besides the donation to Empress that makes me feel really proud to do what I do because we have over eight contributors to Empress and even a highlighted support small business uh, podcast within Empress talking about what we're all going through because um, it, it's a lot and we need to have that kind of camaraderie and collective but I feel grateful to be in a position that I can support other people, whether they're trainers or dance instructors or uh, nutritional therapy practitioners. That is my goal and that is my vision with Empress. And I would love for you to be a part of it. And all of it is in the bio. We have a new website that launched, thisisempress.com. You can access the behind the scenes, the video of Kayla and I, and also just so many more videos, including virtual workouts ran through my gym platform strength. Uh, but just knowing that this time is, is a time for these types of conversations to not just be busy, to be aware of what's happening internally, and then also not be disconnected from what's happening in your neighborhood or maybe in your neighborhood next door, next to yours. I really hope you enjoy it. Please let me know what you think. This podcast has been all over the place and it truly is a reflection of all of the things I'm feeling. Be sure to listen to some more feeling podcasts um, in, that just launched and lots more to come, but this is important. So please, if you feel called to donate to Grow House, please do. And then also know that every contribution um, through Empress is going to go a long way. And I would love your support as well. All right, here is Kayla. Enjoy. Unless someone like you cares a whole awful lot, nothing is going to get better. It's not. Kayla, welcome to Meathead Hippie Podcast. I am extra excited about this one because uh, there is change that you guys are a part of and that you are a part of and Grow House is a part of, and I can't wait to talk about it to get my listeners to understand what's going on and how they can get involved. Um, so thank you for coming on. It's a pleasure to be here. Let's first just start with kind of your background and how you got involved in Grow House and then talking about uh, what Grow House is doing right now. Sure. So uh, I'm Kayla Birdsong. I'm the executive director at the Grow House and I have been with the organization almost seven years. Uh, which I feel like this this uh, time of day, that's quite a long time. And for being uh, fairly young, it uh, feels like a lifetime that I've been involved. Um, I My background is a little bit all over the place. I studied business management um, and always knew that I wanted to manage something. Uh, I didn't know what. And I thought that I would probably end up starting my own food business. I've always been really in love with food. Um, just as a way to connect people and a way to express um, love and creativity and to, you know, share, share with others. And so 
Um, I never thought I would go into the nonprofit field necessarily, um, but I, you know, eventually I did some work with an environmental film nonprofit. That was my first venture into the nonprofit world. And I thought it was really bizarre and amazing and scary. And so um, I, was, I was kind of open to the idea. Um, and then I did a lot of different things that kind of, um, you know, you look back on your life and you think, how are all of these bizarre experiences going to come together? Um, and I feel like that's what really happened with the grow house. So I've been uh, learning to speak Spanish forever. I've studied abroad in Spain, really working on Spanish. And um, I've done um, some volunteer farming. I lived in Nepal um, doing farming. And so I kind of um, had all of these different things that when I found the grow house, um, they came together. And so I, I discovered the grow house when I was actually living in the neighborhood that the grow house serves. So when I moved to Denver seven plus years ago, um, I landed for a number of reasons. I landed in the neighborhood, Elyria Swansea, right where the grow house is. And I, uh, I stumbled upon the grow house. I biked by. And back then it was um, not quite as welcoming as it looks today, but I, <laughs> I went in and I fell in love with the mission and just started volunteering immediately. And um, since then I've, I've had four different roles at the organization. I kind of moved up through all of the programs um, and now have been the uh, executive director for uh, about two and a half or three years. Ugh, I love how the, like the serendipitous, chance is the most purposeful beautiful like you know kind of the dream job that people are always looking for it just falls into place when you are just saying yes and that's amazing about Nepal that I would love to hear more about that next time we meet in person yeah we can have a whole, <laughs> right. a whole conversation just about Asia travels oh, so, oh my gosh yeah. I'm so ready for the world to open up again um yeah. <laughs> well okay let's start with talking about Grow House specifically, uh, the nonprofit, the farm, the the mission behind it, how it began, and what it seeks to solve. Sure. So the Grow House is, um, we're really working to ensure lasting access to healthy food for our community. We're a place-based organization, and that means that we're really committed to the neighborhoods that we're in the middle of. So in Northeast Denver, uh, we are smack dab in the middle of these two little neighborhoods called Elyria and Swansea. And next door is another bigger neighborhood called Globeville. And so these three neighborhoods together um, is kind of our core focus. And um, these neighborhoods have a lot in common with um, other areas of Denver and, and places across the whole country and across the world where we see high you know, concentrations of people who have very little access to healthy food. And it's um, almost always overlaid with low income uh, families, with um, people who are experiencing a lot higher rates of poverty and a lot higher rates of um, different, um, you know, different, uh, a, a lot more, diffi more difficult health outcomes that we see. So for example, um, our neighborhoods face a lot of higher rates of um, pretty much any diet-related illness that you can think of. Um, and a lot of this is because of the surroundings. Um, you know, we, we have, even in our, in our neighborhood, we have a life expectancy for kids that's 11 years less than neighborhoods that are just three miles away. Oh my gosh. Oh my so gosh. Really, 
exactly. I mean, it's staggering when you look at the data of neighborhoods like um, like our, our community, it's really overwhelming to look at the disparities and how this ends up happening is that, um, you know, people, people end up living with really significant barriers to living healthy lives. And so, you know, there's a lot kind of going on in this neighborhood. And the piece that we're really working on is the food and the food access piece. And, um, you know, we believe that healthy food is a right for all and not a privilege for some. And so we're hyper-focused on this one little area, um, really to see if we can't figure out a solution that could eventually be replicated in the many hundreds and thousands of neighborhoods that are just like this um, all over the U.S. Oh, this is incredible. I just have chills all over and I am so <laughs> glad I found you guys. Um, let's talk about the barriers a little bit more, if we can, of what mm-hmm. are some of those barriers that do prevent food access and in turn create food insecurity and maybe even getting into what defining food insecurity is. Sure. So the biggest barrier um, is always the financial situation. It's it's almost always income is the biggest piece, um, just the economic security of families. And um, so in, in neighborhoods like ours, um, we see that there's a lot, uh, a lot more people living in a household, for example, but the median household income is about half that than the rest of Denver. And so that's a lot less money spread among a lot more people. Um, and so, you know, we really see this show up in a lot of ways. One example that I use is that um, the local elementary school, which is just a couple of blocks away, about 90, uh, actually over 97% of the kids are on free and reduced school lunch programs. And that's one of the highest rates in the whole city. Um, it's pretty telling. And so, you know, especially right now, I mean, we'll get into the whole, you know, current situation, but you think about the kids that are depending on their, their schools to provide meals. Um, it's, it's something that really uh, impacts the whole family. I mean, you know, in, in these neighborhoods, we have people who are making the decisions between, do I pay rent this month? Do I pay my utility bill? Um, you know, those things have to come first. And often food is not the first thing on the list. Um, we talk with families, um, we do a lot of work with families and, and really, um, I, I didn't really explain this before, but our approach is that we want to work with the community, not for the community. And we want to help them come up with ways to overcome some of these barriers. Mm. And that looks like a lot of different things. So, you know, I'll talk about all the programming that we do. Um, but we really, you know, believe that that power lives within the community. And so it's often a conversation with individual families and figuring out what is their biggest barrier. And often it's not food. And so we do a lot of, you know, helping people connect with other pieces so that we can kind of come back to that conversation about, okay, so now let's talk about healthy food for you and your kids. Um, because it's, um, it's such an essential thing that so many of us take for granted, I think. Um, but when a family is, is really strapped uh, and they're continually living paycheck to paycheck, it's really hard to prioritize and often impossible to prioritize getting healthy food. Um, you know, it's often getting enough food. And yeah. so, so we're always working with, with folks to try to help um, take it another level and figure out how we can um, overcome some of those financial barriers. I think it's just a perfect example of what you said of how we do take it for granted. It's, you know, at some point, yes, education totally can help serve and 
at most of my listeners, right? Education mm-hmm. does do that for them. Mm-hmm. And we take that for granted because it's like education doesn't mean anything until we have accessibility. So mm-hmm. it's just mm-hmm. perfectly stated in, in what you guys are doing. Um, so what does Grow House as an operation look like day to day and also yeah. through the programming that you're doing? Sure. And I, I also just wanted to mention, you mentioned food access, and I would love to, um, maybe this wraps in with kind of what we do, but um, we have a different definition for food access than um, maybe what people think. I think oh, that often yeah. people think of food access as like going and like getting a physical, like having physical access to an apple or something or a potato, right? Um, but we we really think of food access as this this overarching um, concept that has kind of four different pieces. And one piece is that physical proximity. Can I walk to get that apple or that potato? Um, But there's all these other pieces. So one other piece is when I get there and I see that potato, can I afford it? It's the price. It's the the affordability and my income and my financial ability to buy that potato. Um, And then we have two other pieces that are even more hidden, which are knowledge and empowerment. Um, and that means, you know, if I get this potato home, do I know what to do with it? Do I know how to store it properly? Do I know how to cook it properly so that my family actually wants it? Because if I cook it and it doesn't taste good, my kids are not going to let me buy that potato again. It was a waste of money. Um, so that knowledge and empowerment piece is such a huge one. And then the last one that's also often hidden is the cultural fit. So is that potato even culturally relevant for my background, because often, you know, we'll have things like turnips and people won't take turnips because they're not going to be accepted in their family. Mm. And so it's, um, and also when I walk in, you know, when people walk into the store, is that store speaking their language? Do they feel comfortable enough to go? We spent years, years, I'm not exaggerating here, where people would not walk in the front door because they didn't feel comfortable. Um, because they didn't know if someone would speak Spanish to them right when they walked in the door, or if uh, we would be willing to work with them with all of their food assistance programs, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's kind of all these big pieces that I think that food access is such a term that's just thrown around. Mm-hmm. Um, but what does it really mean? Is it, it means all of these different pieces to um, accessing and consuming really good food. Kayla, thank you. you <laughs> this is exactly the information that I need to know and and also hopefully my listeners as well because it's um, one thing to want to be a part of it. And that's the whole goal with this is like we want to be a part of it, right? We have best of intentions, but sometimes those intentions aren't executed well and, and it backfires or it's not as effective or it's completely ineffective. And so clearly what you guys are doing is working. And so I, I just love this approach. It's um, nailing it in the community and then working on expanding. Um, the programs you do, so especially kind of talking about the lunches and our current day, uh, which is why this is so important more than ever. Uh, what are these programs that you have? Um, and I love following you guys on social. It's just been so wonderful to see like how the community is rallying. And I hope this is even more of a rallying rally cry. Uh, mm-hmm. But what the, you know, talk to me about the programs. That sure. Grow yeah. So we do a lot. Um, and that's why I think it's really useful to think about food access first before I go into programming, because all of our programs hit these different pieces of access. Yeah. So we have really robust, um, education programs, uh, as well as food distribution programs and community outreach. Um, and so for 
uh, I'll start with education because I think it's it's super important. Um, we work, and I could talk about education all day. I won't. I'll give you the very high level overview, which is that we work with kids um, all the way through adults in a lot of different ways. Um, we work with uh, people from school groups, um, like doing field trips. We go to schools. We do um, after school care for a lot of the elementary school kids in the neighborhood. That's been something um, that we've been really leaning leaning into over the past couple of years. Um, so we do, um, you know, about seven after school classes a week. So sometimes we're having multiple after school classes in different locations, um, serving all all ages within the elementary school um, age group. And then we do a lot of summer programming. So one of my favorite programs is a leadership program for teenagers that we run all summer long and we have about 30 teenagers come in and and really it's like I said it's a leadership program but food is kind of the lens mm. so we approach it through food through agriculture through um, food justice through social justice and um, but it's all about equipping these teens with the ability and skill and confidence to be change makers in, you know, in their families, in their communities, um, in their classrooms. And, and that's a program that I really think is beautiful because all summer they're gardening and they're going out and they're building gardens and visiting farms, um, but they're doing all of these other pieces that are really important. Um, and I think that's just a good example of our education program overall. We also do a lot of work with adults in the community. We teach classes in Spanish that are, are free and we have food and childcare. Um, every time and we're teaching about um, essentially about food and wellness and we're always our approach is that we're always meeting people where they're at in their learning journey so maybe we're working with a group of um, you know kids from a school and we're building a curriculum about social about um, soil science because it's their science class um, or maybe it's a group of moms from the neighborhood and what we're doing is a nutrition and wellness class where we're actually adapting some of their amazing, you know, Mexican cooking recipes, and we're just slightly helping them to make healthy adjustments. But it's all about retaining that heritage and learning from each other. Um, and all of our education is um, experiential, it's all hands on. Um, and so I think it's a really great way that we've learned to connect with our community and become part of our community. And that's where I see a big part of our future is continuing to work on um, education. Mm. And that trust that is going with that, because it's, I don't know, I, not to say that I know of many things that have gone wrong, but you are, it's just so holistic and it's such mm -hmm. a partnership instead of um, preaching, right? It's, mm -hmm. it really is a collaborative effort, which is empowerment. Uh, when it, when you look at kind of the, I'm a visual, so talk my people through the, the visual, mm -hmm. is it a, the farm? Is it multiple farms? Where do you get your food from? Um, what does it look like as a whole? Yeah, so we've historically for the last 10 years have been in a 20,000 square foot warehouse. Uh, well, warehouse is the wrong word. It's a greenhouse. Um, and we have been operating out of this building. We have, have had three indoor farms in the building, as well as a retail market and education space. Um, we currently have had issues with our building, um, which is a really big challenge. And so right now we're not operating the building at all. No one's operating in their buildings because of the COVID outbreak. But um, right before that, we were had, had paused operations in that facility. So, you know, I think that it's a challenging time for us, but it's also 
um, a time when we need to look at what do we want to do in our next decade, you know, and, and how can we live up to what we really want to do in this community? We're so committed to that neighborhood. We're not going anywhere. Um, it's just about how are we going to show up? Um, and so, you know, we've had this really interesting um, physical space that has drawn people for a decade. It's what I fell in love with when I walked in. Um, it's, there's plants everywhere. It's this amazing community space. And one thing that happened over our 10 years in that space is that actually creating a safe place for community to connect um, became a really important piece of the work that we do. And so whether we're in that building or we have to change things, we're always going to be committed to creating a space where community can really, um, it's a haven for them. You know, it's, it's one of the only places... <laughs> this is like our the whole theme of the month is stay at home edition so don't worry we've had multiple dogs bark in the background <laughs> <laughs> she's being so good all day um, she knows it's about time for the walk so <laughs> don't worry <laughs> i love it i think um, <laughs> continue yeah so we've had, anyway, so we've been operating out of this space and it'll look different in the future, um, potentially, but, you know, we'll, we'll really remain committed to the core of what we do, which is, um, as I mentioned, education. And then we do a lot of um, food distribution. So we've grown some of our own food, but we've also been sourcing from local farms and distributors forever um, because we've only, uh, in that building, we've in the past grown greens, herbs, and mushrooms. Um, so beyond that, we've been sourcing. We already have a lot of great relationships with local farms and distributors, which we're using a lot. We're using those relationships right now um, in the COVID crisis to help get people food. But we do a weekly food box program that people can sign up for. Although right now, I think we're capped because um, we've had such a huge um, demand. But we do, yeah, it's a good problem. We do a curated box of food weekly um, that's, that can go anywhere in Denver, we deliver. Um, and then we also have done a, we've had a retail market on site. And um, especially with all of the current um, challenges, we're actually moving to launch an online market. And that will be just for our neighborhood. It will be wow. low, uh, you know, discounted food, really great food that we've always had um, that will be online shopping and then, and then delivered as well. So we're, we're working to adapt our programming as quickly as we possibly can. Um, and we also do a lot of work on um, outreach to the community. So we have a group of women who are called Promotoras, which is a community out, uh, community health worker model where, you know, we really think that the people who are the best equipped to make change in a community are people from that community. It's not me going into a home and teaching about healthy oils. You know, it's someone's neighbor. It's someone's um, auntie. And so um, that model has been really strong. And I, I know that we'll continue to build up uh, that network because that's, it's building leaders. It's building um, capacity for people to learn and then also to become change makers in their own community and spread that. And so that's a piece that I, I'm really proud of personally. Mm, that's a, I mean, it makes so much sense when you say it. It's like you I just love it. I love that you are teaching me so much through this. Um, when it comes to the most important thing that you see, and maybe it's the lunch, kind of filling the gap for the lunches, maybe it's um, just kind of rallying because things like the building or uh, the outbreak has made us pivot or made you guys pivot. 
what is the biggest focus right now with the current situation? Maybe just starting with defining what food insecurity is and kind of how these contributions are helping and what efforts you feel like are the most important to capitalize on uh, because we just don't know if it's not if it's going to get any better anytime soon. Sure. Um, gosh, yeah, now is a really, um, it's a really critical time, I think, for us and for um, the broader community to step in and ensure that, that our community, as well as other, you know, neighborhoods and, and at-risk populations across the U.S. are um, really being paid attention to. Um, you know, there's a million definitions for food insecurity. Um, you know, one thing that I always think of um, is that someone re would report um, being unsure of where their next meal came from, you know, say one time in a week span. Again, there's a million different definitions, but I think the point is that um, if you, you know, if a family has that literal insecurity, not knowing where their meal will come from, um, they would be classified as, you know, experiencing food insecurity. And so especially right now um, with the COVID crisis, we've had literally neighbors leaving notes on our front door saying, I'm out of food. Um, I have no food. We have people calling us who are saying, um, that I have, I have food for one more day for my family of five and, you know, what am I supposed to do? And so um, I'll talk about what we're doing. Um, there's a lot of partners that are doing a lot of different pieces of work. Um, we are kind of doing, I'll, I'll boil it down to two big programs. Um, one is that the weekly food box program that I already mentioned, mm -hmm. we are we've <laughs> ramped it up like crazy and are serving people all over Denver um, to give a, an idea of scope. We were doing, you know, less than 200 boxes a week. And now we just capped this week at 800. Oh my God. Wow. So that's a great way that we're, we're serving the broader community. But the neat thing about that is that all the money that we make through that program goes right into this other programming. So one piece that I already mentioned is trying to launch this online market. Yeah. Um, this is a huge <laughs> effort um, and that we're working on right now. So hopefully in the month, month of April, uh, we'll be able to launch this market where people can um, do a little bit of their shopping or all of their shopping online from their home in, uh, in, G in the Global Swansea neighborhood um, and be able to access um, food that they um, that they've always depended on through the grow house, and then um, the huge new program that we're doing because of course um, we have been rapidly um, trying to pull together resources to respond to this. Um, we have created a new program where we're actually packaging um, large quantities of staple items, so rice, beans, mm. lentils, peanut butter, oils, flour, etc. And we're building these big packages and we are delivering these complete, everything's completely free, dropping them off on the doorsteps of people who live in our neighborhood. And we just got this up and running over the past, you know, week and a half. Um, kind of one of those things where you're, you're building the train as it's flying down the tracks. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we have a delivery partner who's helping us with delivery. And so people can who live in our, in the 80216 zip code, can go online and actually just sign up online. It's a simple form. And then 
what we're doing is we're calling every family individually. We're talking to them about what they need um, related to food, also beyond food. You know, we want to have a really good understanding of, of what the needs are right now, what the needs will be if this continues so that we can be those navigators that we've always been to work with our community. Um, and then, you know, families get this, this big package of dry goods. And then we're also adding on to that um, donated um, produce. And so often, and so we have a couple partners, uh, Denver Food Rescue and We Don't Waste, who collect rescued food. And they are pumping it out there, picking it up all over the city constantly. And um, a lot of food pantries have actually closed um, in during the outbreak um, because people are nervous about exposure. Um, and so we are actually collecting a lot of extra food that would go to other pantries. So we're working on collecting more and distributing to more people right now. Um, and just in, in this past week alone, um, we distributed, let's see, 564 packages um, to about 300 different families just over the last week. Oh, that is incredible. I, I can only imagine the effort and the bandwidth and the camaraderie that had happened to make that happen. But that is like, that's awesome, Kayla. So right now I've been working on the budget all day. Um, we're gearing up to, you know, I have no idea how long this will last, but I'm guessing or at least wanting to financially plan to run this program every single week. So getting, serving 400 families per week um, with this program through the end of May. So we'll be raising um, upwards of $300,000 to do that. You know, wow. I was just going to direct people to our website, um, which is a great way to, find out more information. So it's thegrowhouse.org, uh, growhouse, H-A-U-S. And on our website, we're putting up a page um, that will over we'll have an overview of everything I just explained, what we're doing in response to the COVID outbreak. <clears throat> and then also places to donate. Um, you can donate a few dollars or another um, way that we stay afloat all year round is that we have people who join our membership program called Tambien, which means together or uh, two in Spanish. And it's this idea that um, the broader community coming together to support this one neighborhood um, is, is a really strong um, way, you know, that this, that the broader community can, can really put their dollars uh, into something that they believe in. And so we have, um, are dedicated to the Grow House and our mission and are giving anywhere between, you know, $5 and hundreds of dollars a month. And, and every dollar, I think, when it all comes together, you know, at least when I make a small donation, sometimes I think, oh, is that really making a difference? But it's it's that idea that if we all come together and do that, it absolutely does make a difference. Yeah, it, it does so much. And it, I just, I just love this. I'm so happy I found you guys. And I just cannot wait to figure out more and more ways um, that you guys grow. Like as, as you guys grow, I feel like my, my hope is when you look at what you said, all the communities that have this issue and the way that you were figuring it out, uh, how can you guys grow to those communities without losing the touch of that holistic hands-on with the community approach? I just am so mm -hmm. impressed by you guys. So thank you for your time and all the efforts you're making and um, being out there with all of our own, you know, kind of in our head with the news. We're dealing with it in our own world, right? But I just really appreciate everyone who's like, eh, 
I still got work to do <laughs> and you have a lot of it. And I just think it's amazing to see. So thank you so, so much for sharing what you guys are doing. It was so fun to be here. Thank you so much, Emily. I really appreciate you bringing this to the, to the surface. You know, it's something that uh, is easier not to think about sometimes. And um, there are so many beautiful pieces of neighborhoods like ours that, um, you know, I think deserve deserve attention and they deserve to be celebrated as well as supported. Thanks, Kayla.